So we have this question that I hope to answer. My uh, religion and speech professor in college said, you should be able to take a 20-minute message and give it in just five minutes. And everyone should understand what you have to say. Let's see if I can manage this. Are you a sinner or are you a saint? The whole title of the sermon is, Is You Am or Is You Ain't? Sinner or saint? Is you am or is you ain't? Well, if you're in Christ Jesus, you're not. You're not a sinner. If you're in Christ Jesus, you're a saint. And we're going to flesh that out. However, if there's sin in your life, you're in danger. So we have these, this dichotomy we're going to look at today. So we have this notion, sinner or saint. Isaiah, <clears throat> in chapter 43, says, I, even I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will remember your sins no more. So think about this one more time. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will remember your sins no more. I have a cross-reference up there from Hebrews where in the Greek it's extraordinarily emphatic where he says, I will never, ever remember your sins. So it's not just, ah, and I won't remember them. No, it's I will never, ever. That's his promise. I will never, ever recall your sins. Important for us to understand. That's his contract. That's his statement. No one had his arm up behind his back saying, please, please do something. It was all his choice. All his decision on our behalf. So we have some questions in the next slide. So who blots out every transgression? He does. You can say it. The Lord. Say it with me. The Lord. He blots out every transgression. So what did we do to deserve this grace? Nothing. Not one thing. Why does he blot our sins out? For his own name's sake. God is love. He does it because of his great love for us. It's his great, great power and love. So does God ever, and I underline ever, does he ever recall our sins? So what does gospel mean? Good news. Is there a gospel of condemnation? There, there can't be. There are people who preach one. There are preachers who get up and tell you that you better watch it. Shane laughingly shared that with us at Christmas. You better watch out. You better not pout. You better not cry. I'm telling you why. That's not God's economy. That's not his economy. It's good news. And it's good news from start to finish. Uh, did you know that, that uh, God preached the gospel, according to the Apostle Paul, preached the gospel to Abraham? It's not new. It predates the law. And it, it follows after when the law was fulfilled, it follows after the law. Jesus came and fulfilled it. So, who does recall our sin? Someone does. Who? Satan? There are actually three people that, that recall your sins. Your friends, yourself, and your enemy. Our own conscience. Do you know that man didn't really have a conscience before Adam sinned? He didn't need one. 
He didn't need a conscience because in the Garden of Eden, there was the tree of life, and as long as he ate from the tree of life, he had life, and he walked with God, and he did what God designed him to do, which was walk with him. That's God's design for mankind to walk with him. So there was no conscience until he ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's your conscience. You know, how many remember the cartoons where the character has an angel sitting on one shoulder and a devil on the other? Adam did that to you. His disobedience brought that. Prior to Adam's disobedience, we didn't need a conscience because our consciousness was God's presence. His walking with him, that was our life. Not mine, but Adam and Eve's life. And we see it followed in the life of Enoch. Post-garden, Enoch walked with God. All according to design. So we have these promises. So now we move forward, though. What does this mean? Cause me to remember, for we are judged together. Declare it that you may be justified. Every time we sing the song, <clears throat> excuse me, every time we sing the song, your grace is enough, there's a line in it. So remember your people, remember your children, remember your promise, O oh God. I have a couple people come up and say, I don't like that. Why can't you take that out of the song? And my response is always, because it's biblical. God says, cause me to remember. Cause me to remember. But here's the, I can handle that. This is the one that I struggle with. For we are judged together. Who can judge God? But this is what the word says. Cause me to remember, for we are judged together. Declare it that you may be justified. So here's the picture. That if after God's done all this work of redemption for me, I go around saying, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. I'm calling him a liar. I'm judging him. Declare it. Declare what? That he blotted out all my sins. That's what I'm declaring. I'm declaring that he justified me so that I am justified, and he is justified in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on my behalf, on your behalf. Does that make sense? Does it trouble anybody? Raise your hand if it troubles you, because... It troubled me. When I read that, I, I thought, we can't judge God, but we do. Just as John tells in his first epistle, he tells people they're calling God a liar if they say they never sinned or they never sin. So we call God a liar if we proclaim ourselves categorically a sinner, but we're also a liar if we say, eh, I don't sin. Yeah, you do. So do I. Now, it's important to understand that John, <clears throat> in that passage, is talking to the Gnostics who were among the church in 1 John chapter 1. There, there were people in the church. I'm not saying they were Christians, but they attended church meetings because the gospel was so exciting and people were getting fed and people were being healed and all these things were happening. So they would go to those meetings, but they said, sin is just a concept. Man is really spirit. The body doesn't matter. So sin doesn't really matter. John's addressing those people. If you say there's no such thing as sin, if you say we have no sin, you make God out to be a liar. They also believe, just, I don't know if you realize this, but the Gnostics also tended to believe that Jesus was strictly spiritual, that he didn't come in a body, and that his sacrifice was merely symbolic instead of practical. His sacrifice was 
highly practical. We needed it. Lord's Supper, we remember, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood of the new covenant shed for you. Yeah, he was real. But that's why John goes to those arguments. That's why John says if we confess our sin, which really in the Greek means if we agree about sin, he's faithful and just to forgive our sin and lead us in righteousness. So we have this promise, this promise. So we want to make God out to be true. In fact, at the end of the service, we're going to sing the song, Grace Greater Than Our Sin. Sometimes we sing the song rather idly. And we don't realize that while we sing that song, what we believe is my sin is a little bit too much for God. He may crush me because my sin is too much. That's not true. The truth is grace is greater than our sin. Paul says where sin abounds, grace superabounds. So when you do sin, you have an advocate, according to the Bible. And I choose to believe the Bible. So, uh, next slide. Why would God ask us to remind him? Because it reminds us. When we remind him, we're reminding ourselves. Yeah, that, you did that work, didn't you? You did that work. You, for your own namesake, you blotted out every transgression, and you will never, ever recall that. You're not holding it against my account. That's not what he does. Very important. Is God forgetful concerning history? No. So how can God be judged with you? Because if you proclaim yourself unsaved or unrighteous or a sinner, categorically speaking, you say his work wasn't thorough. You say your sin is more powerful than the blood and redeeming power of Jesus Christ. You're not actually saying it, but your thoughts betray your faith. Very important. So declare it that you may be justified. I want to look at the next slide, Psalm 16, verses 6 and 7. I will bless the Lord who counsels me in the dark times when my heart rebukes me. I will be in agreement with the Lord, and with him at my right hand I will not be shaken. So not only is this, is this something that establishes righteousness from Isaiah 43, it's something that keeps us right, so that when I'm stumbling and my heart will condemn me, he counsels me in the dark times when my heart condemns me, so that I'll be in agreement with the Lord as I'm stumbling, justified in the Greek has a couple pictures. One is it's legal, but the other has to do with being put back right. So that as I'm stumbling because I see myself in a bad way, and I agree with him about me, I should be gesturing here. You guys can't see that screen. As I agree with him about my sin, it, it justifies me. It stabilizes me. And then with him at my right hand, as I walk with him, which was his design for Adam, walk with him, I won't be shaken. It's recognizing what he's done for me all the time. I didn't put it in the slides, but you know, do you know what God does remember of you? Malachi 3.16, it's not on the screen, but Malachi 3.16 says that then those who revered the Lord's name began to speak of him, and the Lord listened and ordered that books be written to write down You know what God does remember? When you talk about him and you say, I trust him no matter how bad things get, I trust him. He writes that down. He has it written down. That's in your book. He's recording 
those things. When you say, Jesus alone can save, shh, write that down. He's mindful of us. If we're weeping and we cry out to him and say, and say to someone, I know God will rescue me. He writes that down. And I think he, he possibly, Shane talks about sanctified information. I'd like to believe he also writes down, put a footnote that there was a tear in their eyes. They said that. I'd like to think that he says, put a footnote that there was a big smile on her face. A big smile on his face as he said, God will rescue me. He does write those things down. Those are the things he's committed to recalling according to his word. So we need to think about that. <clears throat> so uh, next slide, if you would. Our hearts will tend to condemn us. That's what they do. We got, again, our three, your friends, yourself, your enemy, who are always quick to recall. Job had three great friends, didn't he? They just loved to sit there and tell him how bad he was and how awful his life was and how if he would just straighten up and confess his sin to God, God would take all that away. And they spoke in ignorance. So agreement with God is essential because we need to view ourselves the way he sees us or we can't see ourselves. Let me say that again. We have to see ourselves the way he sees us or we cannot see ourselves. We'll only see an odd reflection based on what others say about us or our own perceptions. I'm okay because I read an article that said that 70% of American males who this or that or the other thing are fine. And I'm this or that or the other thing, so I'm fine. That's no way to measure. The world should not ever be used to measure us. It should be God's word that measures us. And so we, we need to be in agreement with him, and we're righted when we're minded by him. So we, we recall, my heart's condemning me again, Lord. My heart's condemning me. I don't have that written down. What you did wrong, I don't have that written down. That doesn't stand against you. I'm not remembering that. Not because I'm stupid, but because Jesus' blood is very, very powerful. So that he refuses to remember those things. Very important for us. And then, by the way, I have it written down. uh, John 16, verses 8 through 11. Many people say, well, what about the ministry of the Holy Spirit to convict us of sin? And my response is always, yeah, tell me about that. Read, the, read that verse for me. Because if you read that verse, Jesus says when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And people stop right there. They don't go on. He will convict the world of sin because of, anyone know what comes next? What was that? Because you don't believe in him. He'll convict the world of sin because of their refusal to believe in me. The killing sin, the deadly sin, is unbelief. That's the deadly, deadly sin. He'll convict the world of sin because of their unbelief. Now, once you become a believer, is he convicting you of that sin? What does he convict you of? Jesus says he then goes to work convicting you of your righteousness. And of righteousness, because I'm going to the Father. So one of the primary ministries of the Holy Spirit is convict you of your righteousness. Of the thorough work of Jesus Christ on the cross on your behalf. When I have someone tell me, I had a great time in the Word. You did. Yeah, I came away feeling so convicted, so condemned. 
I don't think they had time with the Lord. I think they had time in a Bible with their friends and their devil and, uh, you know, their enemy and their own conscience. Because if you walk away from time in the Word and it comes from the Holy Spirit, He may convict you or He may demonstrate to you something you've done wrong, but He doesn't, you don't walk away guilty. You walk away with a, with a foot washing. He cleanses you. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 34, Awake to righteousness, and so not sin. The Holy Spirit awakes you to your righteousness because he knows that when he awakes you to your righteousness, it equips you not to walk in sin. So it's very important that we understand that. So, the sin problem. The next slide, if you would, Mike. Sin is a problem. We do have a sin problem. And here's the, here's the remedy according to Moses' law. So the next slide, you see there in Mosaic law, what happens is the supplicant brings the sacrifice and the priest examines it. So is the priest looking at the supplicant or is he looking at the lamb? Even under Mosaic law, it represents the notion that you bring the sacrifice and the priest examines the sacrifice. Now, next slide. Now what do we see? In Christ Jesus, you are the supplicant. The Father is the one who needs to accept it. And the sacrifice is Jesus Christ. In the former slide, we see case by case. These had to be offered and offered and offered and offered. But in Christ, for all time. So when you pray in Jesus' name, you have this picture Tom, come, come here for a minute. If, if Tom represents Jesus Christ, and I'm praying in Jesus' name, I'm not saying, look at me. Look at what I've done. I'm saying, look at Jesus. I'm praying in Jesus' name because he did this, because he is faithful, because he fulfilled all righteousness and truth. When you pray in Jesus' name, you're laying your hands on Jesus Christ and what he's done for you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I don't have any pictures of Jesus, so I could have picked anybody, but Tom is nice and tall. I figured you could see him. We need to understand. We do have a sin problem. There is a remedy. So next slide. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. None of those defined by sexual immorality, idolatry, adultery, sexual deviancy, theft, greed, drunkenness, slander, and swindling will inherit the kingdom of God. Next slide. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And then finally, now the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. The sin problem, if we look at the next slide, is, the third one down, could your body carry 15 tons? Not possible. I don't think any of you could carry me from here to the men's bathroom. I only weigh 215 pounds. It's, it's categorically you're righteous, but even categorically being righteous, you will inherit the kingdom of God because that's something Jesus gave to you. However, your body can't stand sin. Your body can't bear up under sin. We were created to bear God's likeness. We will make man in our image. In our image, we will create him. 
we're made to bear his likeness. We're not made to bear sin. Your bodies can't handle it. We can't handle sexual immorality. We can't handle bitterness. We can't handle impurity. We can't handle greed. We can't handle filthy language. All those things, your body can't handle those things. Your body can't handle bitterness, rage, anger, slander, filthy language. Your body can't handle any of those things. Your body can't handle unforgiveness. If there's someone you refuse to forgive, you're hurting yourself. Your body can't bear that. Even though we're redeemed in Christ Jesus, even though he has made us righteous, our bodies can't handle that. They're just not made to do it. So, well, let's look at the next slide. So your practical status might be what I did today. I sinned by lying, but across that column, my legal status is I'm still righteous. So what God has done is a legal matter. You are legally righteous if you are in Christ Jesus. So let me ask you this. How many sins... Well, first I'll ask this. How many righteous things did you do before you were counted as righteous? None? There's nothing you could do to be declared righteous because you were born in Adam. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live in this world. Paul tells the the Ephesians in chapter 2. You're born in Adam. Jesus Christ, if you're born again in Jesus Christ, he reverses that decision. One One of the meanings of the word metanoia that we see translated repentance has to do with the reversal of the decision of another. So when you enter Christ Jesus, you enter a reversal of Adam's decision to disobey, and you walk into Jesus' decision to be obedient to God. You walk into his righteousness. Again, we started, he became sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. You are. If you're in Christ, you are the righteousness of God in Christ because of what he did for you. What we need to learn to do is walk in it. Uh, Next slide, if you would. So how do you fight sin? Next slide. Our weapons are not carnal, but powerful for bringing down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, taking captive every thought into the obedience of Christ. Here we go again. Adam, Christ, you can not please God by your actions, but you can walk in the righteousness he provides, and that's pleasing taking captive every thought into the obedience of Christ. So you can't battle by fleshly strength. So what kind of arguments need to be cast down? Anything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. If he says, I've provided the strength that you need to do this, then you say, okay. That you have now through the power of the Spirit, an indwelling mind of Christ. And you are now empowered by that to say no to sin. You can say no. When your body, when your flesh wants to do the wrong thing, you can stop your mind, your will, your emotions, which is categorically your soul. Your mind, will, emotions can be quick, the Scriptures say. Be quick to agreement with the Spirit. And you say, I don't have to do this, do I? You said awake to righteousness and not sin. So I can, I can be awake to your ways, and I don't have to do this. What did you say to do? I'm very tempted to 
take $5. I can't think of anything <laughs> offhand, but I'm going to take $5 or $100 or $500. What did you say? I will, I will supply all your needs. Oh, okay. Now, it, do not steal might help, but I will supply all your needs is awaking to my righteous legacy. I will supply all your needs. You don't need that $5. So I become aware that my body doesn't need that because it's harmful to me. So we need constant, constant, constant grace. So Peter says, Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Everything we need through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Everything we need for life and godliness. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. That comes through knowing him. Now, we want to make it about knowing the right thing to do. It's about who you know. It's about who you're listening to. That's the big thing. Uh, If you want to go deeper with some of this, I've been dealing with this in Sunday school class. At the bottom of my Sunday school lesson, you see who you believe determines what you believe or will determine what you believe. And what you believe will define your actions and your character. Your actions and you, actually, is what it says. That who, are we gonna, who do you believe? Do you believe the Bible? Do you believe God? You should, because he says you're righteous. The next slide. Through his, glorious, through his glory and goodness, he has given us his very great and precious promises, his word, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. There's a remedy. The sin problem has a remedy. We're not stuck. We're not arrested there. We are freed. We're taken out of Adam, put in Jesus Christ, and we have power. We have power to declare it. And we're not lying. We're telling the truth when we declare it. So, sinner or saint, what do his great and precious promises say about you? I I would urge you as much and as often as you can to reflect on what he says about you, not what you think about yourself. There's power in the blood. Wonder-working power. And even if you've damaged your body through sin, God's a redeemer. I will restore, he says. I will restore the years taken from you. He gives back. Even if sin robbed you of something, he's a good father. And he'll restore what you need for life and godliness. You have everything you need for life and godliness. And what you've lost through sin sometimes is unrecoverable. But where there's life, there's hope. More often than not, you can. Phil's going to come. We're going to sing Grace Greater Than Our Sin. And uh, again, I want us to reflect on this fact, this simple fact. Your sin is not greater at any time, any place, ever than his grace. My sin is not greater than God's grace. His grace is super abundant and super powerful, and all it takes is faith, believing him.